This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Genesis, 43rd chapter. Now, now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, O my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food, and when we came to the lodging place we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. 
for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them, and bowed down to him and to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them, with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs, and they drank and were married with him. Thanks, Dana. Good morning. I'm Pastor Mike, if you're new here. I'm one of the elders, and we're really glad you're here. Um, if I haven't, even if you've been here several weeks and you haven't got a chance to meet me, I'd love to meet you after service. Uh, well, many of you probably know we took last week off, my family, um, because we just moved into a new house, and we just, we just wanted to say thank you. Um, we had so many people during the house hunt encourage us, send us listings, pray for us, um, helped us pack, helped us load the, the trailers, uh, unload at the house, help us put things away. People have brought us meals. Um, so just thank you. We're very, very grateful. We feel very loved and, and supported by all of you. So we're still unpacking, still have a couple boxes to go, but at some point we're going to have a a big party and have everyone over. So, so thanks again. Um, Pastor Dave and the Van Ackers are taking a quick weekend trip. Dave's parents are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And so it's a big deal that they're able to go and um, celebrate the goodness of marriage and, and a, a marriage that has lasted 50 years. Um, so pray for them, that they would honor his parents well during the weekend and that they would have safe travels and um, even a little bit of rest while they're there. Um, I also wanted to just mention that um, Michaela, who has faithfully played piano for several years, and, and you've seen her around, she's been faithful in other ministries as well. Uh, this is her last week. They're heading out uh, for school. Is it Western Missouri State? Missouri Western. Oh, yeah. Missouri Western State. <laughs> totally wrong. Um, she's going to play lacrosse there. It's a lot of big changes, but uh, Dan and Shanna have parented well, prepared her for this, and so keep her in your prayers as well. It's a, it's a really big change. Um, lots of challenges ahead. So keep her in, her in your prayers. So with that, would you join me and pray and ask God to help us this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for gathering us. Help us to 
long for Christ and his glory more? Would you increase our desire to see Christ? This simple, unassuming service is a taste of more to come. That we would long for this kind of worship in Christ's presence always. So would you please fill us with joy as a result? We thank you for Pastor Dave and the Van Acker family. Thank you for the common grace of marriage and the blessings that come through it. I pray that we would, here at Grace, see many anniversaries like this. That we would long for 25, 50, and 75 years with our spouses. That our kids would see that and want the same and understand the beauty of marriage. Thank you for the gift of marriage. Lord, we pray for Michaela and Dan and Shanna as they travel down to school this week. Take all the the truth of your word that you have planted in Michaela's heart and strengthen her for the challenges down there of classes and teammates and new situations. I pray that there would be a church and specific people that would encourage her and care for her and be a safe haven for her during this time. And for Dan and Shanna, as they, they launch Michaela, that they would have great joy. Thank you for the work that they have put in for the last 18 years. May it be a blessing going forward. Father, we come to hear from you. It's not my words. We're not fancy, but neither were Jacob and his sons. Help us to see that despite thousands of years between us, we're not that different than the patriarchs. And above all, you have not changed. You are the same even before time existed. The ways you provide might change. The ways you work may change, but you in your character do not. So please speak through my words this morning. I am not able to do anything useful apart from your Holy Spirit. So Father, please speak to us. Strengthen our faith. Fill us with greater love for you and for one another. And please do far more abundantly than we can imagine through this sermon. Amen. Can you think of a time, maybe it's in the past, maybe it's now, that when you look at your circumstances and you work out the different scenarios, you can't see a way of it going well? Maybe you look ahead to that meeting at work and you know it will go badly. Maybe you have a a friend or a family member that you have to talk to and it might be contentious. The bills might outpace your bank account. Maybe you fear your employer might require you with certain policies that go against your convictions. Or maybe you look out at the world and you wonder, is there anything that is hopeful about this? Is there any possibility that things will go well? Maybe you toss and turn all night, running through the scenarios of how things might go. And you don't arrive on that scenario where things go well. This is not that much different than the story we look at this morning. 
The sons of Jacob return from Egypt. or I'm sorry, they will return to Egypt to buy more grain. And their situation as they set out, it looks like they're entering into certain trouble and even the prospect of death. But by the end of the chapter, in God's providence worked out through the characters in the story, the brothers experience peace and mercy and grace. They start the journey afraid and expecting death, but by the end of the chapter, they're dining at Joseph's table in amazement. So before we look at chapter 43, let me do a quick recap of last week in chapter 42 that Dave covered. There's a lot of similarities between these two journeys. There's a famine. Jacob sends 10 of his sons out, minus the younger, Benjamin, and they go out to to Egypt to buy grain. And when the brothers arrive, they bow, unbeknowing that it's their brother Joseph. They bow before him, the brother that they had sold into slavery previously. And after speaking roughly and interrogating his brothers, Joseph tells the brothers that they can buy grain and return home. But they, let, they need to leave one of their brothers, Simeon. He has to stay there. And then he tells the brothers that if they want more grain, they must return with Benjamin, the youngest. This was Joseph's test to prove whether they were honest men or not. But on the way home, they discover in their sacks that the money they had used for the grain was actually in their sacks, along with the grain. The money had been returned. Just as they're ready to prove their honesty, now it appears like they've stolen from Egypt. And it's this tension that now enters into our story in chapter 43. This is where we find Jacob and 10 of his sons at the start. And the chapter is broken into three main scenes. Verse 1 through 15 take place in the house of Israel, Jacob. And it's a conversation between Jacob and the brothers, primarily led by Judah. And then the next two scenes, you see them go to Egypt, to the house of Joseph. So verses 16 through 25 show the brothers interacting with Joseph's steward. And then the rest of the chapter, we see Joseph interacting with his brothers. And through the three scenes, we get a front row seat into how God's providence is working in this case. He's always at work accomplishing his purposes and working through various people. Sometimes we see the work in the immediate like how God provides food for Jacob's family. And there's other pieces where God is working to move the larger story of Genesis along, and even the larger story of Scripture. So we'll look at each scene and highlight the ways God is at work through the various characters. So the first scene, 1 through 15. Verse 1 reminds us that there is still a severe famine. And while Jacob, when the brothers initially returned... He refused to let them go back with Benjamin. But as the circumstances have continued to get worse, this famine is persisting. He now is is forced with a, a new choice. If the family is to survive, the brothers will have to go back one way or another. So now the, the problems of the family look like this. If they don't get more grain the entire family dies. If they don't bring Benjamin back, they probably die. And if it's been found out that they've stolen from Pharaoh, it's very likely they die. Further, 
But if Jacob's family dies, the seed of Abraham dies as well. God's promise to make a multitude will die out with Jacob's family. So in the minds of the brothers, they're they're thinking through all these things, all the scenarios they face, and badly. They can't imagine a happy ending to this. Again, when the brothers first returned from Egypt, Jacob refused to let them go back and take Benjamin with. He's already lost Joseph. Now he's lost Simeon. Benjamin is the only son of Rachel left, Jacob's favored wife. He will not let Benjamin be lost too. It's too much for him to bear. But as this famine worsens, Jacob tells them to go get more grain. And it's at this point where he's, he's holding off on letting Benjamin go that we see Judah step to the forefront. So this is our first character that we'll look at. That through sacrifice and offering security, Judah moves the story along. So until now, Reuben, the the oldest, the firstborn son, has often spoken on behalf of the brothers. Reuben, in the last chapter, even offered a half-hearted promise to bring Benjamin back. So in chapter 42, verse 37, he says, Reuben says, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. And there's a sliver of nobility to this, but he's willing to sacrifice his own sons instead of his own life. What gain is that for Jacob if more people die? Kids, how would you feel if your dad made that offer? So Jacob wisely refused Reuben's offer. And that allows Judah to step to the forefront. He becomes more and more the leader and the spokesman for the brothers. Judah appeals to allow him to take Benjamin with. This is the only way that the man, who we know as Joseph, would allow the brothers to return. And after some back and forth, Judah makes this bold promise in verse 8. Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge for his safety from my hand. You shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. And this is especially interesting considering what we know of Judah this far in the story. Do you remember the last time we saw Judah? We haven't heard anything about Judah since chapters 37 and 38. In 37, he's taking an active role in selling Joseph into slavery. And in 38, we get a whole chapter telling of his atrocious sinful acts with his daughter-in-law Tamar. And it's there in chapter 38, we even see him making a pledge. Only in that case, it was a dishonorable pledge. That was essentially payment for sleeping with Tamar. But over time, through these events, it seems that Judah has been changed by God. And this began in the first trip to Egypt as the brothers recognized their guilt from selling Joseph into slavery. And now Judah acts in an honorable way to offer himself as a sacrifice for the sake of his family. He makes a pledge on behalf of Benjamin's life. And it's not only for the sake of Judah or even Jacob and his other brothers, but he recognizes that the future generations will not survive without this action. And if he fails to keep Benjamin safe, he will personally assume the blame. And so we see Judah's character has been changed. We see that here. But it also serves as a shadow of something even greater to the story. 
Judah will become the kingly line of the Messiah. Jesus is the only one who ultimately pledges security for all of his people. He took the blame for sin of God's people for all time. And only God can make a pledge like that. The New Testament mentions several places where Father, Son, and Spirit are our guarantee. The triune God has pledged, has promised, has secured on behalf of the saints to save our lives, to protect us. Hebrews 6 gives us one example. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Grace, the triune God has pledged security for your life. Faith in Christ comes with a guarantee that you will live forever, even beyond what Judah could pledge for Benjamin. He has pledged everlasting life to his people. Well, this is a a side note, but notice that Jacob is referred to as Israel in this chapter. And it's not not clear exactly why that is, but it seems that as Judah begins to take a more prominent role in the family, the story begins to focus on Judah's generation, the brothers. And Israel now represents the clan, the entire clan, rather than, than simply Jacob. Jacob meaning the, the individual story, and now the, the story is getting bigger. And this will become more significant later on in Genesis. For now, I'm just going to refer to when this, the text refers to Jacob or Israel, I'll call him Jacob just to keep things clear. So back to the story. After some back and forth, Judah prevails. Jacob allows the 10 brothers to go, including Benjamin. It's clear that Jacob's not sure 100% about this plan, but he also seems to realize the direness of their situation. We've got to do something. If they can't get more grain, none of the family survives. So even if Jacob fears losing more of his sons, he still lets them go. And Jacob instructs his brothers to bring three things. Take a gift, take twice the money from last time, and last and most crucially, bring your brother Benjamin. The gift is a selection of fruits and nuts, and that echoes back to a few things from Genesis. We've seen Jacob give gifts to Esau when he prepared to meet him in chapter 33. He did it to ensure peace. And even more relevant to this passage Back in chapter 37, when the brothers are sold, when the brothers sold Joseph, they sold them to the Ishmaelites. And the text notes that the Ishmaelites carried gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to Egypt. So now, in an ironic twist, the brothers will carry the same gift to Egypt and give it to the very brother they sold the first time. And from Jacob's perspective, he imagines a similar thing happening. He lost Joseph before, now he'll lose his other son, Rachel, and he'll cause him grief. But after these instructions, Jacob turns, and in verse 14, he prays. And this is our second character that we see God's work through. He prays, May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, 
And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Despite his apprehensions, despite anticipating more grief and loss for the family, Jacob entrusts this journey to God. And he uses a specific name. He uses God Almighty. This is the name God himself used when he spoke to Abraham back in chapter 17 when he made a covenant with him. This is the name that Isaac used to bless Jacob when he sent him away from Laban, or I'm sorry, to Laban, away from Esau. And in both cases, the promise was that God would make him fruitful and multiply. God promised a company of people and then a nation numbering more than the sands of the sea. But in the current situation, this promise looks very unlikely. There's a famine. The man in charge of Egypt might refuse them grain. Benjamin or all of Jacob's children might die. But even if he isn't confident in prayer, he's appealing to the right source. In the past, Jacob the cheater trusted in his own cleverness or the cleverness of others to get what he needed or wanted. But now he's bringing his needs to God Almighty. And that's the most important thing. D.A. Carson says that it's not the intensity of our faith, but the object of our faith that matters. Not the intensity of our faith, but the object. So let's say you and I are in the same situation. We're dealing with some hard circumstance. And there was a scale that you could measure the amount of intensity of our faith. So if you could put this, put our face on this, this rating. Maybe my faith is a 95. 95, it's really strong. And on the other hand, maybe your faith is a 45 on this faith scale. My intensity is greater. But what if I'm placing my trust in my own cleverness to get me out of this hard circumstance? What if I'm putting my, my 95 faith in my own abilities and my skills? Meanwhile, you, your 45, is putting your faith in the God of the Bible, the maker of heaven and earth. Whose faith is placed in the right spot? Whose faith is placed in the right object? I I might have more faith, more intensity, but it's aimed at the wrong thing. Even if your faith is weak and wavering like Jacob's, the object matters. The object is crucial. Even if it's just groans and we don't fully believe what we're praying, seek God Almighty's help. That's the picture of faith we get from Jacob here. He asks God for mercy and that the man, Joseph, would send back Simeon and Benjamin. Grace, you might feel in your situation like things are hopeless. You might have the situation where the math doesn't work out in your favor. You've ran the scenarios. And in your mind, they lead to doom. You might not wholeheartedly believe that prayer is effective. But Psalm 55 tells us, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. It's at this point we follow the brothers to Egypt for the second half of the story. They make their way to the house of Joseph. So we'll look at the steward and his actions, and then we'll move into Joseph as the character's work out God's provision. 
So Joseph sees them and gives instructions to his steward to prepare a meal. And as the brothers come, we see more of the change that began on their first encounter with Joseph. Now it's less clear, Joseph sees the brothers, it's less clear whether the brothers have seen Joseph yet. And that seems to play into their response. Look at verses 17 and 18. The man, the steward, did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. The brothers, with good reason, are afraid that Joseph is going to have a meal and then cause them harm. They're imagining something out of like a mafia movie. The boss has a fancy meal and then knocks his enemies off. So they're imagining the worst. But despite their fears, the brothers are honest with the steward. They bring Benjamin, like Joseph had instructed, and then they tell the truth about the money in their sacks. And then bracing for the worst, we see instead the steward's kind answer. Verse 23, he says, he replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. The steward has been in on Joseph's plan from the start. How much the steward understands about who Joseph's God is, isn't as clear, but it's likely he's at least witnessed some things through Joseph. Pharaoh had recognized Joseph, had the spirit of God after interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. That is possible that that would have reached the steward. And then when Joseph questioned his brothers in chapter 42, Joseph said that he feared the Lord. So the steward has probably at least heard of Joseph's God and who he is. Now, whether the steward acknowledges the true God of Israel or whether he's speaking what Joseph instructed him to say, his words do explain God's providence to the brothers. We get another hint when the steward tells the brothers that it was, it was your God and the God of your father that's taking care of you. And he says, You're no, your money's no good here. God has settled the accounts. So through the steward, God has worked to bestow peace on the brothers. Where the brothers feared retribution, they instead received peace. Where they feared wrath and deserved wrath, they received reconciliation. To this point, the brothers' honesty is being rewarded. They haven't been killed yet. They're reconciled financially with Egypt. And now they get their brother Simeon back. Further, they get fodder for their animals. And they have their feet washed. And now they're brought into Joseph's for a feast. And this brings us to the final scene where Joseph enters and encounters his brothers again. We again see God's providence, this time through Joseph. So the brothers come in, they offer their gift, they bow down. And again, this fulfills Joseph's dream when he was a boy. After asking about Jacob's status, Joseph sees his full brother, Benjamin, for the first time in 20 years. Joseph lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. 
Joseph offers a blessing of grace to his younger, younger brother, Benjamin. This seems to be part of the plan. And as we'll see in a few verses, it's not just speaking a blessing, but Joseph will work it out. He will be the agent that shows grace to Benjamin. And then in verse 30, Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep and he entered his chamber and wept there. Joseph sees this long lost brother. He's overwhelmed by his emotions, but for some reason he isn't ready to reveal his true identity. That will have to wait. So he leaves so he can gain his composure and maintain his status as master over his brothers. Now in verse 30, your Bible might read that Joseph had compassion or that he was deeply moved. But the word here is actually the same word for mercy that Jacob prayed for in verse 14. Jacob had asked God Almighty to show mercy to Benjamin. And here we see that prayer being answered through Joseph's merciful emotions and actions. God God answered Jacob's prayer. Benjamin did receive mercy. And as we'll see in future chapters, Jacob will be reunited with his sons. He won't be bereaved. Don't miss recognizing that God answers prayers. If you were able to see that your prayers were answered, wouldn't that want to make you pray more? One of the simplest, but a very powerful way to grow your faith, write your prayers down and then note when they're answered. I learned this from one of my mentors uh, back in Portland. His name's Bill. During his quiet times, Bill would journal and he would write all kinds of different things. He had different colors for different, different things he was doing. But he would write his prayers in one color and then he would review his journal pretty regularly and highlight every time a prayer was answered. And so then you'd see his journals and they're just dripping with highlighter. And he would use that as a way to strengthen his faith. To see how God faithfully answered his prayers. Over and over and over. I've done this from time to time. I have notebooks that are filled with highlighters. It's a faith-strengthening practice. So God used Joseph to answer Jacob's prayer. But then Joseph goes even further. He's bestowed blessing. We see his deep affection for his brother. And it continues as the brothers sit down for a meal. Interestingly, Joseph sees his brothers according to their birth order, oldest to youngest. The brothers are astonished at this. This isn't their last supper after all. Then we see Benjamin getting five times the food compared to his brothers. What does this mean? Why does Joseph seem to favor Benjamin? There's a couple of reasons for this, I think. First, Benjamin sharing the same mother, Rachel, as a closeness with Joseph. Secondly, Benjamin probably also had nothing to do with selling Joseph into slavery. Joseph was 17 at the time, Benjamin even younger, and he probably wasn't in the field with his other brothers when Joseph was sold. So there's more of an innocence to Benjamin. And three, Joseph's not finished testing his brothers. When when Jacob gave Joseph the coat of many colors, how did the brothers respond? With jealousy. 
So Joseph is wondering, has anything truly changed with the brothers? How will they respond with one brother being favored? Will they begrudge Benjamin's extra helpings? Instead of jealousy, they all feast. And we see here hints of the story of the prodigal prodigal son. Here's Joseph's beloved brother of the same mother. Now he sees him for the first time. It's a reunion. So he kills the fattened calf or the fattened animal. And they all eat and drink and we're married together. Again, instead of wrath, the brothers receive mercy and grace. Instead of buying a little extra grain to fend off starvation, they're eating meat in the house of the governor of Egypt. God has turned their fortunes from dread into grace. None of the brothers received the kindness they received. And neither do we. So as large as our troubles might appear, whatever we're in now, whatever we're looking to, remember that if you're in Christ, you have already had your greatest problem dealt with. You've received mercy. Your sins have been forgiven. And as the song goes, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Just as Joseph put away any wrath towards the brothers, God's wrath no longer sits over your head because of Christ's atoning work on the cross. We must have this perspective. All our other troubles are real. They are. But they pale in comparison to sitting under God's wrath. So if you're trusting in Christ, that Christ's death on the cross has brought you peace with God, then your everyday troubles are not as bad as they could be. And if you're not trusting in Christ, whatever earthly troubles you have are nowhere near as bad as they really are. You're under condemnation of a holy God. But there's good news for you too. Just as the brothers received mercy instead of judgment, you too, by repenting and putting your trust in Christ's finished work, will receive grace. Put your trust in the only object to save you, Jesus Christ. But dying on the cross isn't all that Jesus did. He didn't just live and die on the cross. He rose victoriously from the grave. Our God is a God of resurrection. And that's one of the themes in the Joseph narrative. And we'll continue to see that develop in the coming weeks. This theme of resurrection. Things look bleak. People appear to face death only for God to turn the tables and raise them up. It's true of Joseph. It was true of the brothers who faced doom only to wind up at the feast at the table of Joseph. It all points to resurrection. Remember that the living God is a God of resurrection. He's a God of hope, a God of optimism. And if we only view things from an earthly perspective, things will look pretty bleak. But like Jacob and the brothers, if we only look to an earthly perspective, we'll only see bad endings to our circumstances. In our world, things are increasingly virtual and fake. 
We can make up identities online or in real life. We can pretend that who we are is separated from our physical nature. People can assert things and call them true. That might work for a time, but this world is God's and it's real. God is actually at work. Prayers are really answered. We really do receive provision and blessing from God. God is actually working out all things according to his sovereign decree. God really does uphold all things and bless us in specific ways. It's not just a vague whiff of blessing, but tangible ways that we see God's provision. It's not self-help. It's not talking positively to yourself. It's not simply going through religious motions. It's placing our faith in the creator of the universe who is pleased to show mercy to his children and give them good things that they don't deserve. So remind yourself of this. As we pray, know that he answers us. As we sing, know that he hears us and he's pleased. When you get what you need, it's God who gives it. As we fellowship after the service, remind yourself that he is present and he is at work. Also that we would receive blessing and that he would get all the glory.